Before we get into Genesis chapter 16, I do want to preface this with a little bit from Genesis 15. So if you're already at 16, just back up one chapter and go to Genesis 15. And this is going to set the stage for what's happening in the life of Abram. So right away in verse 1, the Bible says that sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And in verse 6, the Bible says that Abraham or excuse me, Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You might know this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, but the Bible says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You'll notice that on the front side of your bulletin. That's a verse that's always there. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Abram had faith in this promise that God had given him. Someday you will have a son, and you'll have his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24 and 25, the Bible says that if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Now, I start our message today with this, because the promise was given to Abram, and the Bible says Abram believed the Lord, and it was accredited to him. It was accounted to him, and he was righteous because of his faith. Now, if you fast forward 10 years, you'll look at Genesis 16. Even though he had this great faith, Ten years pass after this promise, and he still does not have a son. That has not transpired yet in his life. Ten years. Imagine given this promise, and then ten years go by. We live in a culture that we get antsy when the microwave hasn't completely heated our food in a minute and a half. But ten years go by, and this promise has still not been fulfilled in his life. You could call this space of time the difficult space. And a question for us today is, how do we respond when we feel like God is not moving within our desired time frame? What, what, what kind of goes through our heart? What goes through our mind when we feel like, okay, God, come on? The other part of that is, how do we respond when we're not getting what we want? Even when what you want is a good thing, how do you respond to that? And here's the thing, and this is a lesson we'll learn today in this particular story. If you try to take matters into your own hands, you'll see that it actually makes life more difficult for you. 
Can anybody attest to that? I'm just going to do it my way. Well, guess what? That's not a good decision. We learned that last week in this story of pride and disobedience with the Tower of Babel. Can make life more difficult for you and also those around you, and you see that in this particular story. Before we read in Genesis 16, I want to lay a little bit of a groundwork here because this might be a little bit confusing. You might go, what in the world is going on here? This is a little bit odd and awkward because today's passage will show us a man who marries another woman. That means he now has two wives at the same time. That's a little awkward, okay? And rightfully so, it's awkward because it's not God's design for marriage. Okay, just because something is in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean it's acceptable. Okay, and to be clear, polygamy is not an acceptable practice. Having multiple spouses is not okay. That is not God's design. And for clarity, God's design for marriage is monogamy. One man, one woman, married. That's God's design. We saw that at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Okay? Whenever you see people stepping out of God's design in the scriptures, you'll eventually see things get really complicated. And that's what happens for Abram and his wife, Sarai, and also this servant girl, Hagar. They step out of God's design and you see things get complicated. You'll see that with marriage in the scriptures, when there's multiple wives and all of that just gets really screwed up fast. You'll see that with drunkenness when you see godly characters in the Bible that start to mess up and fool around with alcohol. It never ends well. Another component here is the topic of slavery. Just because it's in the Bible does not mean that this is an acceptable thing. You'll notice that this second man's wife, or this man's second wife, started as a servant in the household. And again, just because it's in the Bible, it does not mean that it's an acceptable thing. And some people state today that the Bible is outdated because slavery is mentioned in the Scriptures. We need to understand that God's Word is the revelation of Himself to a broken and fallen humanity. And a majority of the Scriptures are filled with accounts of people who are living in a world where there is the presence of sin. And there's going to be times where these broken and these fallen and these imperfect people get caught up in the culture and they make poor decisions. And you see parts of their story have these things, but that does not mean that it's acceptable. Okay? And the other thing I need to say before we begin to read is that for the sake of little ears, since there's no kids' church today, I've paraphrased a couple of spots to stay sensitive to our environment this morning. Okay? You might notice that as we're reading along I've just changed a few things that I think maybe parents would appreciate this morning. So with that said, let's get into Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children, so marry my servant. There's a paraphrase for you. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to be Abram as a wife. And this happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. 
So, verse 4, Hagar became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put your servant, or I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. And the Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. And before we keep reading, I just want to emphasize that this word contempt in the Hebrew, it means that Hagar looked down upon Sarai. She looked at her as if she was small now that she was pregnant and Sarai was still barren. So you can imagine the tension that's starting to build here in this particular story. So verse 6, let's keep rolling. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now I want to just stop there and take a moment to recognize something here that I think maybe some of us can relate to. You see, we as humans, we like to run from tough circumstances. We'll, we'll run from things that are difficult, and that's exactly what Hagar did. Can anybody relate to that, the running feeling? And this angel tells Hagar to turn around and return to where she's supposed to be and to submit to the authority that's been placed in her life. And I want to stop there this morning to just make a comment that perhaps somebody listening right now, you're running. You're running from whatever it might be, a circumstance, or perhaps you're even running from God. And I want to tell you right now, this can be exhausting. And you see that with Hagar because she's off on the side crying in distress, and the Bible says she's in the wilderness. Running will eventually lead you to a place where you're just like, I can't run anymore. I'm exhausted. So my note to you today is it's time to return to where you're supposed to be. It's time to return home. And it's time to submit to the authority that's been designed for your life. It's time, it's time to submit to God. Return to him. And we'll be praying for this a little bit later. You'll have an opportunity to make that right towards the end of the service. Let's continue in verse 11. So the angel also said to Hagar, you are now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. And he will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Now, I just want to stop there, too, because there's a little bit of a history lesson for us. According to the Quran, which would be the scriptures for the religion of Islam, 
Ishmael is considered a patriarch of the Islamic faith. Okay? And I want you to recognize this verse that says he'll live in open hostility with all his relatives. And I don't think it's a secret that there's hostility that exists today and throughout history between Islam and Jews and Islam and Christianity. This is very real to this day. And you can see the starting point all the way back in Genesis chapter 16. The people of Israel and the New Testament Christians who've been grafted in, according to Romans 11, they're part of the family line of Abraham, Ishmael's relatives. Interesting. And I just want to make a note here. This might seem like it's an insensitive moment in regards to what I'm saying about Islam, but I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not saying that people of Islamic faith have less dignity or worth in the eyes of God. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I will flat out tell you right now that Islam is a false religion. It's false. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you want to get defensive on my end, I'm just telling you what Jesus said, okay? I am the way. No one comes to the Father any way else than through Jesus Christ. The beauty of the gospel, though, is that Jesus is transforming lives in many places all over the world today. And there are powerful, powerful stories of people leaving the empty religion of Islam for a Savior whose tomb is still empty to this very day. A few years ago, I remember Brady walking through a book, and it's all these testimonies of people who are a, a part of the Muslim faith, and they're encountering Jesus himself through visions and dreams. And there's one story, there's one account where this particular guard showed up, and these Christians were meeting, and, and they have to kind of meet in private because it's illegal, and there's a, a, there's a threat to Christianity in this place, in this environment that they were at. And if guards found out that you were a Christian, they would somehow work their way into that group and then they would bust that group open and they would persecute that group. And so there was this Christian that was out and about and he was confronted by this guard and he said, hey, aren't, you're a Christian, aren't you? And the man kind of, what do I, what do, I do here? Like, what, why are you asking this, sir? And the man began, he just continued to press into this question. He didn't quite know how to answer it. And he says, I know you're a Christian because last night I had a dream and Jesus showed up and he told me, this man's gonna tell me how I can know Jesus Christ and you're the man that was in my dream. God has incredible compassion for people and he will go great lengths to see them come to know Christ. Whether it's Islam or any other religion, just like he has great compassion for Hagar and Ishmael, as we'll see in this story. Let's continue verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her, and she said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well has been named Be'er Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me and it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. Now, before we continue, I just want to make a point here. This message today is entitled, The God Who Sees You. 
God sees you. I don't know if you know that or not, but God knows everything about you. He sees you. And when I say that, when I was processing this this week, here's my thought. There's two reactions to that statement. When I say God sees you, to those who are living right with God, that's a very comforting statement. God sees me. There's comfort in that. But for those who are living outside of God's will, that is outside of the plan that God has designed for your life, that statement, God sees you, that's a very uncomfortable thing. You see where I'm coming from on that? See, if your heart is right with the Lord, God who sees me, that's encouraging because I know he, he sees the circumstances I walk through. He knows the things that I need. You acknowledge all of that and it's very comforting, but if you're not living for the Lord, there's a fear of, oh man, I'm not living for the Lord, but yet he sees every aspect of my life. That can be uncomfortable for some. Verse 15, the Bible says that Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. 86, imagine that. You imagine in the senior adult ministry, Pastor Paul, you're having your lunch and then you go around the table and all of a sudden, well, we're expecting, you know. <laughs> like, what? Whoa, okay, a little bit of a life change. Okay. If you go to the next chapter, chapter 17, the Bible tells us that God changes Abram and Sarai's name. Okay, Abram, which meant high father, has been changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And Sarai, which means my princess, her name has been changed to Sarah, which means mother of nations. And God reaffirms his promise to Abraham that he will have a son through Sarah even though he's 86 years old, okay? So jump with me now to Genesis 21. Here's the back end of this particular message today. Genesis 21. This is 14 years after Ishmael's been born. So he's a young little teenager, okay? Young little teenager, and watch what happens. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time that God said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Okay, now jump with me to verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, okay, kids were weaned anywhere between two and five years old in this culture, so where does that put Ishmael? Ishmael, who was 14 when Isaac was born, he'd be about a mid to uh, older teenager, okay? Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion, but Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Now, keep in mind, this late teenager is making fun of a little kid that's the age of a toddler, okay? So Sarah turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. 
This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulder. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. And then she went out and she sat down by herself about 100 yards away. And she says, I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into tears. Her teenage son is dying of thirst and malnutrition. And she sets him off aside and she doesn't even want to watch. And so she goes off. The Bible says, but God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Uh, Janet, would you come forward, please? Or whoever's playing our organ for communion. Thank you. You'll notice in Genesis 16 and 11, and then also we see this in Genesis 21, 17, God heard mom's distress, and God hears the son's distress. He hears what's going on. And in Psalm 34, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. And look at verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is incredibly close, incredibly close to people who are going through very, very difficult times. And you see that in this particular story of Genesis 16 and Genesis chapter 21, but I think you can see it today in the lives of many people that are in this place. God is close. He's near. He hears your cry. He sees you. I want to point out the fact that, that Hagar and Ishmael, they cried. They cried. They didn't exactly say, God, why don't you save me? The Bible says they cried. And God heard that. To think how close he is to people who are going through very difficult circumstances. I want to close with verse 19, and I just think this is powerful for us today. The Bible says that God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container, and she gave the boy a drink. And I look how this ends, and I think God opens her eyes to see his provision. So not only does God hear us when we walk through difficult things, but God is also ready to open our eyes to the provision that he has for our needs. Just wanna tell everybody today that God is here, he's present, 
He's listening. He knows what you're walking through. And he's here to provide what it is that you need today. Perhaps you're listening right now and, and you're thinking, I, I'm not walking in obedience to God. And you're that person that maybe when I said God sees you, that was an uncomfortable thing to hear. But I want you to know that God has compassion over your life. He wants a relationship with you. And that's his provision. And your eyes, your spiritual eyes can be opened to new life in Jesus Christ. And that's the provision he can provide over your needs spiritually today. The other side of this coin is that perhaps there's people listening today that you're walking through a very difficult season in life. And I want you to know God sees you and he hears you. He knows exactly what you're going through. And my prayer for you today is that God will also open your eyes to the provision that he has for you today as well. So before we partake in communion together, I want us to take a moment in this service to go in response and in prayer to God as we ask him to open our eyes. So will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, I thank you that you're a God who sees each and every one of us and that no matter what we walk through in life, no matter how we feel in the midst of the valley or the difficult, difficult circumstance, your word tells us that you hear us and that you're close to the brokenhearted. And so, Father, I pray for great encouragement this morning. That for those who are listening would, would have their eyes opened to the great provision in Jesus Christ. If there's someone listening right now that wants to surrender their life to Jesus. We talked earlier about being in the family of God. It starts by surrendering your life to Christ. If you desire that in your life, I just ask you'd simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I repent. And that word repent means I'm going to change the way that I live. But it's not on my own strength. It's because I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come in and make me a new person. So Lord, as I surrender my life to you, help me to move forward in this relationship with you. And help me to walk in the ways in which you would desire. And I thank you for this gift called salvation. And Father, I lift up any other needs in this place today. My guess is a room filled with this many people. There's a lot of circumstances that people are walking through that are very difficult. And Father, I pray that you'd extend your hand to these individuals and lift them up and encourage them that not only do you hear them and see them, 
but you're here to provide for them. And so, Lord, I ask that you administer to these hearts today. And I thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.